Hello, welcome to Songs in the Key of, a podcast about songs. These might be old songs, new songs or middle-aged songs. Anything that takes my fancy really. Sometimes these shows will be themed around an idea, a person, a genre or some other concept. Other times they will simply reflect my latest obsessions, my new favourite bands, those songs I can't get out of my head. So let's get on with it. This time round there's no particular theme, just 10 rather good songs that I think you might just like. I'm fairly certain I discovered Battles watching later with Jules Holland. They were an absolute revelation. They weren't just your standard four or five skinny indie kids with guitar, bass and drums. There was a whole wall of electronic kit going on as well. And it was splendid. The song I'm thinking about in particular was Atlas from their 2007 album Mirrored. Vocals were constantly distorted, swinging the singer's delivery from a regular vocal to a pitch even Mickey Mouse would struggle to hit. Swirling around that were thundering, pounding tribal drums joined by guitars and keyboards and frenetic energy. Obviously, I bought the album immediately and was completely enamoured with the energetic frenzy on the record. Nothing was lost between the as-live excitement of their performance on the telly compared with what they had created in the studio. The largely impenetrable, mostly indecipherable lyrics start off with the claim that people won't be people when they hear this sound, and they're absolutely right. For all the tech involved in this song, there is something gloriously earthy and primal and animalistic about it. Songs like this are why I love music. Facebook is in general a toxic swamp of iniquity and vacuousness, but every now and then some little gem from someone or other crops up. A few weeks back, someone I vaguely know posted their excitement at getting hold of a copy of an album by a band called The Clientel. I knew absolutely nothing about the band, had never even heard of them, but judging by the picture of the album cover, it looked like the sort of thing I might like because yes, sometimes you can judge an album by its cover. The Cleontel, it turns out, have a gentle, mesmeric quality about them. 
If you've not heard of them, you're not alone. According to the perennially reliable Wikipedia, they have a greater following in the US than they do here in the UK. One song of theirs in particular that leapt out at me isn't really a song at all. Losing Haringey is a prose poem about a quasi-mystical experience in which the narrator finds himself trapped within a photograph of a childhood memory in the midst of a period of uncertainty and mental turmoil. It is beautifully elegiac and tenderly written. It is simultaneously both magical and very, very real. There were four benches to my right, interspersed with those strange bushes that grow in the area, whose blossoms are so pale yellow they seem translucent, almost spectral. And suddenly tired, I sat down. I held my head in my hands, feeling like shit, but a sudden breeze escaped from the terraces, and for a moment I lost my thoughts in its unexpected coolness. I looked up, and I realized I was sitting in a photograph. I remembered clearly, this photograph was taken by my mother in 1982 outside our front garden in Hampshire. It was slightly underexposed. I was still sitting on the bench, but the colours and the planes of the road and horizon had become the photo. If I looked hard, I could see the lines of the window ledge in the original photograph were now composed by a tree branch and the silhouetted edge of a grass verge. The sheen of the flash on the window was replicated by bonfire smoke, drifting infinitesimally slowly from behind the fence. My sister's face had been dimly visible behind the window, and yes, there were pale stars far off to the west that traced out the lines of a toddler's eyes and mouth. When I look back at this, there's nothing to grasp, no starting point. I was inside an underexposed photo from 1982, but I was also sitting on a bench in Haringey. Strongest of all was the feeling of 1982-ness. One of the gaps in my musical knowledge comes in the form of Ian Dury and the Blockheads, or even just Ian Dury on his own. Obviously I know Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick and Reasons To Be Cheerful, but apart from that I do live in rather shameful blockheaded ignorance. Then again, there is one extra bit of Ian Dury's catalogue I do know, and that's the Busman's Prayer. Now it might all be because I've been taking the bus a great deal of late, or it might be because, hey, it's just popped into my head. But the busman's prayer is a magnificent piece of erudite wit, a play on the words of the Lord's Prayer that is simply wonderful. Our Father, who art in heaven, Harrow Road be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy Wimbledon. In Eric, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our Berkhamstead, and forgive us our Westminsters, as we forgive those who Westminster against us. Lead us not into Temple Station, but deliver us from Ealing. For thine is the Kingston, the Pearly and the Crawley, for Ivor and Ivor, crouching. Record shops are beautiful places. They may be grotty and smell weird and have paint peeling off the walls, but that just adds to the beauty. They're the antithesis of slick corporate banality. Every rack of vinyl, every shelf of CDs offers an escape from the rest of the world. Even the gloomiest of dank record shops blasting out the Smiths debut album for all its lovelorn clientele is a happy place, a sanctuary, a shelter from the storm. 
which is precisely why I have such affectionate memories for Vinyl Exchange in Manchester, which I visited a few times while at university in Lancaster. Each trip there seemed like a foretaste of paradise. I'd look forward to going there like a kid going to Alton Towers. It's one of those shops where the cases are kept behind the counter. Each inlay card is carefully removed from its case and put in a plastic wallet, together with a card showing what price the album is. If the album's been in stock long enough, it'll have a long list of ever-decreasing values as the shopkeeper seeks to find some happy medium between selling at a price that will help keep a roof over his head while being cheap enough to persuade someone like me that they really would be a fool not to buy some album they've never heard of by a band they've never before encountered for the princely sum of three quid. With my first trip to Vinyl Exchange 21 years ago, I came back with a haul of albums for, as I remember, just over 30 quid. And, absolute anorak that I am, I can remember each one of them. Rubbernecking by Elka, Further by Geneva, Bring Trouble by Brian, Planet Painkiller by Chris Starling, High Life by Overmars, Palm Tree by Superstar, Adventure by First Light, 40 Days of Summer by Beat Glider, Shoplifting by Straw, and Stooping to Fit by Catchers. And a fair few of these still get regular listens to this day, and have appeared on podcasts. One such album is Stooping to Fit by the Irish band Catchers, though for me it forms something of an audio equivalent to one of Proust's Madeleines, giving me a sense memory of my life as a student in a particularly rainy part of the northwest of England. This second album by Catchers has a great deal going for it, a kind of underdog charm that will appeal to anyone with a love of melancholic indie. Half Awake is the opening track, laden with a mix of acoustic and electric guitars, male and female vocals, richly orchestrated strings and lyrics about wanting to put the past behind you and move on to some hazy, undefined, rose-tinted future. There are times, while sitting at my computer churning through spreadsheets and emails, that I listen to this album all day long. Hopefully, you'll understand why. You cannot hold me, I have no colour No trail to follow And I think She left all Of my connections Hope to God Until about two minutes before I started typing the words I'm reading now, 
I was completely unaware that Phazon from Jonathan Wilson's album Fanfare was a cover, which means that I didn't know that it was originally written and recorded by a band glorying under the wonderful name of Sopwith Camel. There's something rather magnificent about some spaced out trippy band naming themselves after a ramshackled old biplane from the First World War. Jonathan Wilson's cover of this beardy weirdy hippie trippy number is very faithful to the original, right down to the soprano sax, no doubt wrestled from Kenny G's tight grip, especially for the occasion. It's got a smooth, soulful funk to it, with Wilson's velveteen lyrics gliding over the top. Lyrically, it sounds suitably right on, man. Pondering life underground, under the sea, out in space and anywhere else humanity might need to escape to after destroying all its previous habitats. The conclusion quickly reached both by Sopwith Camel and Jonathan Wilson is such a troglodyte lifestyle might not be all it's cracked up to be. The Blue Mountains in Australia are a particularly beautiful sight. In a previous life I was lucky enough to visit them and just take in the awe and splendour of sprawling green and blue nature at its best. I visited a town called Katoomba which is close to one of the key landmarks of the Blue Mountains, the Three Sisters, a huge rocky formation with three distinct peaks. Tradition has it that, according to Aboriginal legend, Three sisters fell in love with three men from a different tribe and their marriage was forbidden. The result was a war in which the sisters were turned into stone for their own protection. Alternatively, the three sisters went for a walk and disturbed a swamp-dwelling creature called a bunyip and their father turned them into stone again to protect them. There's only one problem with this. Whoever it was who turned them into the stone, an elder or their father either died or lost the magic bone he used to carry out the spell. And so they're still stone to this day. Well, that's not the only problem. The other problem is that it's complete codswallop. It's not an Aboriginal legend at all. It's widely believed to be the concoction of a non-Aborigine schoolgirl in the early 20th century, the appropriately named Patricia Stone, that non-natives adopted as a charming story which, whether she intended it or not, actually demeans and minimalises the true meaning of the Blue Mountains to Aborigines. Because actually, 
the whole landscape is important to Aborigines, specifically the Gundungura people whose home is in this part of the world. Not just the intriguing rock formation that Caucasian interlopers have deemed fit to use as a means of assuaging whatever traces of invaders' guilt may trouble their collective consciences, compartmentalise a whole culture they don't really understand, and sell a bunch of guidebooks and ice creams at the same time. In a blog entry from 2013, the Australian journalist Michael Burge interviews a Gundungura elder, Sharon Halls, who says this. Because of what happened to Gundungurran people, the continuity of our stories was broken. Our stories were diluted with other stories. The structure is there, but it's in a different form. The important thing is that you don't interpret someone else's story on their behalf. You only tell your own. All of this comes as a rather long-winded way of introducing a song by the band Cloud Control, who had the enviable fortune of coming from this beautiful part of the world and very much tell their own story of the Blue Mountains. There's something of the verdant splendour that they capture with absolute precision in their music. If you didn't know what the Blue Mountains look like, what they feel like, just listening to their music would give you a very, very good idea. A few years back, I discovered them while writing for the website Shout for Music when I wrote a review of their single Gold Canary, and it positively shimmers with the wonder of the Blue Mountains. It's those harmonies, the chirping of birds in the background at the beginning and the sheer leisureliness of the chilled out vibe that forces you to absolutely love this song. Because you do love it, don't you? How can you not? I won't hurt your sister I can't not resist her entirely sure exactly what cat powers lived in bars means but i know i absolutely love it it's a song whose lyrics oscillate between the joy and hedonism of a life on the road drinking in bars and seeing the world on the one hand and plunging into the danger of swimming with sharks encountering the dark living in a bottle and very nearly ending it all the lyrics form a swirl of psychedelic chaos which means we'll never truly grasp exactly what's going on. But that, together with the rising, tender optimism of the music, is precisely where you'll find its charm. 
Life is never entirely one thing or the other, never completely happy or completely sad, never completely good or completely bad. This song exemplifies that fact perfectly. If the muted trumpet hadn't already existed, Cat Power would have had to invent it just for this spellbinding piece of musical perfection. Hotel strings and ships that sail. We swim with sharks and fly with aeroplanes in the air. Sitting in the tropics, the marching wheelchairs. Open the blankets and give them some air. Swords and arches, bones and cement. Light in the dark of the innocent of men Music is always at its best at its absolute rawest, and there are few songs that can be considered rawer than the magnificent song Not a Crime by Gogo Bordello. Gogo Bordello are a US based band fronted by the beyond charismatic Eugene Hutz. Their music mixes traditional gypsy music from Eastern Europe, from where Eugene Hutz originates, with the abrasiveness of punk and the rhythm of dub. What could go wrong? Absolutely nothing. Not A Crime is a spectacular tour de force coming from the band's third album 2005's Gypsy Punk's Underdog World Strike. With a title like that you might well expect a long player filled with exhortations to revolution and insurrection. And you'd be absolutely right. Not A Crime is fiery and explosive, yet rather vague, with lines like Spices Creation, Realization, Naturalization, and It's All About Time Because Today You Go To Nature, and could be easily interpreted as a call to legalised drugs. But the thing is, it could be a song about absolutely anything, the desire for greater freedoms, whether that relates to drug use, LGBT plus rights, or simply wider freedoms of speech for all. Whatever its true meaning, it's an anthem for life, liberty and freedom. And I love it. In the old time, in the old time, it was not a crime! Not a crime! Not a crime! Not a crime! Сидел на габал, дал работать не 
perfectly natural. I can't remember now which episode it was, but a while back I promised you I'd play Graham Coxon's People of the Earth. Well, that time has come. That's exactly what you're going to hear in the next couple of minutes. Graham Coxon has had a steady history of releasing excellent solo albums, the best of which, for my money, is 2004's Happiness in Magazines, his fifth outing as a solo artist. It's got some splendid moments on it, from the frenetic spectacular through to the forlornness and solemnity of the album's closer, Ribbons and Leaves. And around halfway through, the whole thing comes People of the Earth, a megaphone-blasted public service announcement directed at a planet full of deluded beings. It's caustic and angry and witty and wild, and you have to love it for the simple fact that it contains the following couplet. People of the earth, you are doomed to fail. You still worship the sun and the Daily Mail. Damon Albarn may have his gorillas, Alex James may have all the cheese, but it's Graham Coxon who still has the best tunes. episodes back I played you a snippet of the Bonzo Dog Doodah band's The Intro and the Outro in which Vivian Stanshaw introduced an endless train of musicians from Princess Anne to Adolf Hitler via Val Dunican, adding layer upon layer of instrumentation to a big band tune satirising the genre perfectly. In exactly the same year that Stanshaw and co were spoofing the idea of band leaders introducing their fellow musicians, King Curtis and the Kingpins released a song that did a similar thing, bringing a sense of wry self-awareness to the whole introducing the band thing. The song is Memphis Soul Stew, and King Curtis's spoken opening reads like a recipe. Give me about half a teacup of bass. Now I need a pound of fat-back drums. Now give me four tablespoons of boiling Memphis guitars. This gonna taste all right. Now just a little pinch of organ. Now give me half a pint of horn. The result is obviously delicious. Today's special is Memphis Soul Stew. We sell so much of this, people wonder what we put in it. We're gonna tell you right now. Give me about a half a teacup of bass. Now I need a pound of fat back drums. 
Now give me four tablespoons of ballin' Memphis guitars. This gonna taste all right. Now just a little pinch of organ. Now give me a half a pint of horn. So there you have it, 10 songs in the key of what I've been listening to lately. I hope you like them. Let me know what you think on Instagram via the handle at Songs in the Keel. I'll be back sooner or later with Songs in the Keel or something or other else. In the meantime, have a marvellous few days and nights till we meet again. (laughs) 